delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the Racetalk.com. This is on the grid. <laughs> Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the radio show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A big show coming up today. We're going to chat to the winner of the six-hour at Bathurst, Jaden Ojeda. Fantastic for him and we'll be chatting to him in just one tick. Mark Walker, Richard Crowder join me to wrap up what's been a massive week in motorsport once again. We'll do it all right after this. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On The Grid. All right, let's kick off the week with Mark Walker and Richard Quayle. Hello, boys. Hello, Tony. How are you? Mate, I'm mighty fine. Mark, how are you? I'm all right. I've just been busy trying to sort out a race meeting for Richard to go and commentate next weekend. Uh, I think there's a track day the at the off. Bend. Yeah. There might be some motorbikes going around Malala or something. We'll we, we would love it if you could go to Sydney Motorsport Park and do Formula Ford. You just work it out, Chebex. You send you, you send me what you need, and we can we can make that happen. Oh, look, I tell you what, you did a fair bit of commentary over the weekend. Uh, not as big a course as the Formula One the week before, but it wasn't a letdown because it was a pretty damn good race. The Bathurst Six Hours. Oh, it was brilliant, Chebex. It's it's three times as long as a Grand Prix, even one that goes for four hours like Albert Park did. No, we had a terrific weekend at the High Tech Oils Bathurst Six Hour, and if you don't mind, I think we need to introduce. Our first Please, I will allow you to do it. Because uh, this young bloke put on an absolute show on the weekend. And uh, way back when in 2015, we had a, a Japanese driver by the name of Katsumasa Chio who invented the Bathurst Pass on the grass. This bloke took it to new levels on Sunday afternoon as he powered a BMW with Simon Hodges to victory. His name is Jaden Ojeda. He joins us on the show now. Juice, congratulations, mate. You are a Bathurst winner. Yeah. Oh, thanks for thanks for having me on. And what a weekend! What a weekend, what a weekend. indeed. I, I don't know where to start, mate. Um, what what's the feeling a couple of days out, having achieved what you did on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, probably. I'll, I've watched the race probably twice back already. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely definitely settled in a little bit now, and um, soaking it up, and just thanking everyone that obviously made it all possible. And um, yeah, there's a lot of lot of guys that made it all happen and sort of put in the effort behind the scenes to, to make the car as good as it was to drive. Now we need clarification of that. Have you watched the whole six hours or have you just fast forward <laughs> to the good bits or your drive? Uh, I watched, um, I haven't watched the full six hour yet. Skip through a couple of the other bits, but um, yeah, definitely watched the, the, the good bits. Mate, I was lucky enough to be uh, there at your first formula Ford win all those years ago. I think it was down at Tassie, wasn't it? When you had your first formula four win. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. no, it would have been Philip Island. Philip, Philip Island. Island, it was. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You uh, you broke down at Tassie. That's right. Uh, and <laughs> that's I saw fine. your mum get all excited and all that sort of stuff, Angela, lovely lady. How was she? Was she at the track and was she there? Was she a part of it? No, nah, she unfortunately wasn't at the event, but um, I think she probably commented on every single post about the event <laughs> after it happened. She was, um, yeah, she's still as um, emphatic about it as she, she was back then. Because, right. Mark, if I can just, before I pass it over to you, we should just mention your mum's involvement in in getting you to this situation has been massive. The amount of work that she's done 
to get out there and make sure you've had sponsors, you've had money to be a part of motor racing for the last five or six years. Uh, she is very much a part of this as much as you are as a driver. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in at the moment if it wasn't for mum. Um, she's, you know, she was like a dog going after a bone. She, um, you know, got her hands dirty and really put in a lot of a lot of the effort and the groundwork to sort of, you know, get me through the development categories and the junior stuff where, you know, sponsorship's really, really tough and it's hard to, you know, make a return on, on some of those partners. So, um, you know, she done an awesome job for, for getting me through. Right. Pass in the grass. What was the thought process? What What did you see? What did you experience in that moment? Oh, there probably wasn't a lot of thought process to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it was exactly something I was planning. Um, look, I was yeah. Obviously, the car was the car was rapid at that point. Um, I wasn't. Um, oh, I was under the impression that I had to race to the Russell car. So that's probably why a few of the moves were a bit. Um, you know, a bit aggressive, but yeah, I thought we were racing the Russell car to that point because they had completed on the um, strategy, the, the pit stops required. So we, we assumed that they only had to do a fuel stop as well. Um, so yeah, we managed to, to get to the back of Tom just coming out of the elbow. And uh, yeah, we saw, I think it was the two class C cars or two of the slower cars in a straight parked up next to each other. And, um, you know, they really become like a, a movie chicane when we're, we're traveling in those M4s, M3s. Um, and yeah, he just backed off the throttle a little bit and as it hesitated, um, I thought my, that was probably the best moment I had, um, to keep the, the foot pinned, I saw half a gap and yeah, just kept it flat and bounced, bounced my way through the grass. It was an awesome move, mate. It was so cool. Um, as it turns out, you guys were the one though, with the pit stop advantage and you ticked off all your compulsory stops. So your final stop could be shorter on fuel which gave you that track position for that run to the flag with the the ultimate last lap safety car dash. But how close were you on fuel? I need to know because we got a report before that last safety car that you guys might've been in a little bit of strife. Were you? And how close was it? And did that last safety car perhaps get you out of some trouble? Yeah, we haven't. Um, I called the the team team manager, I guess that looks after the car, Aaron, I called him today to try to find out if he's pulled the fuel out of the car to find out like, how much it was actually left in the tank. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the talk was true. Like uh, I think it was about seven, seven minutes left to go in the race. I had a fuel low alarm come up on the dash. Um, and yeah, it, it didn't surge, but yeah, normally when those alarms come up, they're not too far away. So I think that safety car possibly, yeah, definitely worked to our favor. Now, um, I've driven we... my Mitsubishi Triton, Jaden, on a <laughs> low fuel alarm for another 80Ks at least. So you, you must have at least 10 laps. <laughs> I'd say that'd be true, but it was the, the MoTeC was, was what was saying it. So that was the more concerning part. If it was just up on the dash, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be able to get another, you know, 30, 40Ks out of it. But yeah, the MoTeC's what, um, what scared me. And obviously at that time of the day, the, the light was low. Um, we were managing a gearbox problem at the time as well. So I was trying to keep an eye on those temperatures. And I knew I was a little bit away from the, the gearbox temp alarm. Um, so when the, you know, the MoTeC dash before it's great, L L LCDs um, flashed bright red, it gave me a bit of a scare. And um, yeah, when I saw fuel low, my, my heart sank a little bit because I, I knew we still had a little bit left in the race. Bathurst hasn't been the kindest place to you in your career so far, how does it feel to finally get a big result there, especially at this point in your career where you're looking to make a name for yourself? Yeah. Um, to, to finally get one back from Bathurst, I guess, like you said, it's been tough on me. 
um, over my you know short career. So yeah, to finally get a, a big win there and um, you know just have a walk away from there actually um, you know with a trophy and enjoying it. Um, normally I've walked away a little bit disappointed. So to have an endurance race where it's been problem free um, and you know you come away with a great result, it's yeah awesome. Tell me about driving with Simon, mate. You've you've raced three, six hours with him now. What's that relationship like? And it strikes me that he's a, a very underrated, I suppose what you call an AM driver, but he goes very, very well. Yeah, no, it's been awesome to work with Simon. You know, I, I raced the six hour first with him in 2019. Um, and then since then, I've sort of worked, um, you know, haven't raced with him in every six hour, but I've been there coaching him as well. So it's been really cool to develop him as a driver and, you know, just build his craft year on year. And, um, you know, year on year, he gets better and better and better. And um, he puts more work and dedication into it. And he's really, you know, past probably 24 months, really focused on his fitness and, um, you know, looking at the the full spectrum of what it's like to, you know, go out and, and drive. And um, it's, it's been awesome. So to get that result for him, um you know that's the six hours everything to him so mm. it was it was really cool to be a part of that um both between him and Aaron Gretsch who's Aaron's been working with him through all of Simon's production car um endeavors so to get that for both of them for all the work they both like put in um is is awesome you know we're testing the car developing the car at Eastern Creek most weeks um yeah, and, and that really showed in the race. You know, our car was strong in a straight line, but what, what really won, won that race for us was that race across the top of the mountain because um, the car was just such a joy to drive. Well, I think it would be fair to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem a lot more relaxed in yourself in the last 12 months and, and a lot more relaxed about your driving in the last 12 months. It's not as – it's not the it doesn't seem to be the be-all and end-all for you at this point in time as it may have been in the past when you're trying to really build your career, would that be fair to say? And do you think that that's sort of just taken that pressure off you a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Look, I mean, from my background, um, you know, the point where it, it's still a die, you know, like it's, you're sort of living sponsor to sponsor and, um, you know, you're just trying to make every, every race matter because you know that a couple of bad results might, you know, knock you off the grid for a year or so and um, can really, really affect that. So, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of I just want to go out there and enjoy it um, and just love what I do. And, you know, what we do is such a cool sport. So, um, you know, just enjoying each and every single lap I do and each time I'm at a track because at the end of the day, any day you're at the track's better day than being in an office or somewhere else. So just really loving that aspect of it and, um, you know, trying to share that with the people around me as well. I think when you really came on the radar was that 2019 Super 3 season. That was such a cool championship. I know Rich was involved with that. You know, yourself and Brock Feeney taking it all the way to the finish. That was a, a really cool year. Yeah. Oh, and that was, you know, my first year in a tin top um, with a small little Bathurst team. Um, Anderson Motorsport has obviously gone on to do a few things now, um, running Zach Best in Super 2 and really upscaled that that side of it. But, you know, when we ran with them, they... Um, we were the first, I guess, non-first driver that wasn't Michael to basically drive one of their cars. So everything was still very fresh and everything was very relaxed. Um, and, you know, Super Free was sort of in its early years then as well. So it was still, um, you know, still a professional um, series, but definitely wasn't to the depth of uh, it is now and what Super 2 is like. So, yeah, it was quite cool to, to race in that year. And, you know, there's a few of us that have gone on to do some pretty cool things from that um, that year of super free and um it's been a been cool 
What's next, mate? There's been some wild cards for you with WAU in the past, um, some Bathurst 1000 campaigns. What's in the cards for later on this season and, and where are things heading for you? Yeah, look, ultimately my goal is still to get to supercars. So it's about doing everything in that space to, um, you know, put myself in the best position to get a full-time seat for next year. So, yeah, working on a few things and got a few things lined up to, to keep me busy throughout the year um, to, you know, sort of put myself because, you know, the offers don't just come because you're there. You've got to work for them and you still got to show you're only as good as your last race. So got to stay busy and relevant um, and work towards that for 2024. All right. We wish you all the best in that pursuit of uh, greatness and, and supercars over the next 12 to 24 months. This definitely goes a long way to getting you there. People can look and say, he's a Bathurst winner, and uh, that's not a bad thing. Jane, congratulations, mate. All the best, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Jane Najada joining us here on The Grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On The Grid. Well, there he was, Jay Najada. Boys, uh, he, oh, look, I think he's matured a lot in his in his whole persona, and I think that that's just helping him a hell of a lot in his uh, in his career and and accepting where he's at. Yeah, I agree, Shebex. I, I'd love to see him in a main game yep. drive because he ticks so many boxes. A he clearly can drive. So Bathurst win aside, Super Three was great. He's been in the top three in the Super Two Championship in the. Nissan, um, quite strong in the wildcard performances with WAU. So I, I think he's ticked the boxes from a driving ability. But do you know what I like about Jaden is that he's got a bit of swagger and he's got that sort of, uh, I, I don't know what, how to explain it, but swagger is probably the right word. Yeah. Is it, um, it X factor? Yeah, and, and, and the sport needs that. It needs the drivers that have got that among them not just from a driving point of view, but from a personality point of view. And I think he'd fit in brilliantly in the supercar paddock. I think he would quickly become a fan favourite. I think people would gravitate around him because he'd be exciting to watch on the racetrack, but he'd be really engaging to have off it. So mm. I, I hope the weekend, you know, as much as winning Super 2 races and all that is great, that nothing is like winning a Bathurst. And you saw what it did for Tom Sargent last year. Yes, he won Porsches. Yes. But his year was anchored off the back of that six-hour performance. And I think it'll be the same for Jaden. So I, I really hope that he um, he progresses forward and, and can make a crack at this thing because I, I think he'd be a, a great addition to the sport. How about that whole endurance race at Bathurst thing you got going on there, Richard? <laughs> what a ridiculous it? place. How does it keep doing this? How? I, how, I don't know. And and how are we allowed to do that? Seriously. It's, um, oh, oh, but we know how it does it. It's the mystique of the place. It, it, it lends to that. Every time a race goes there, mm. it's going to produce something. It, it, I love the six hour. The, the 12 hour is my favorite race we all know that right but the six hour i love for its variety i love the stories and and you know we we needed a 12 hour broadcast to tell all of the stories just in that race with everything going on and the, the family stuff and the cars and you know it, it's little stuff like um the Inwood Subaru that that friday blew its only engine so they took it to their workshop in bathurst put the spare in, but the spare wasn't built. So they had to build the spare engine. Oh, wow. They chucked it in and went. It, it's George Medici having to drive their Mustang on trade plates down to the Ford dealer, who's a mate of the Medici family, who run the Ford dealer in Port Macquarie. 
drive the thing down there on trade plates to get it on the hoist on Good Friday. They opened the Ford dealership for him to put a new sump on the car because the other one wasn't correct. It, it's stories like that that just make this the Bathurst that closest resembles what the legend of Bathurst came from. And we could have told these stories for, for hours and hours and hours. And um, and that's what I love about this race. But then it also becomes a traditional Bathurst Enduro where it goes completely and utterly mental and we get crazy races like the finish we got. Now, can we talk shop for a second? We've got the commentator here from the Bathurst 12 hour, the Australian Formula One Grand Prix and the Bathurst six hour. <laughs> and on Sunday, it was just a great companion to the day listening to all the different rotating guests mm. you had through the commentary box. And I'm, I'm going to run through them with you here. Josh Please. Bucken for starters. What he a gun. Is, He's going to put you out of a job. He is irritating that bloke because mm. not only is he annoyingly good at TV, he can drive a race car. He's a ripper bloke. He's got some swagger. It's pretty good looking rooster. The ladies tell me as well. And He's just got the full package, but he rolls into TV and looks like he's been doing it for ages. That bloke will be Neil Crompton someday. It's annoying. Okay. Grant Denyer. I think oh. he won like a TV award of some description a little while ago for a being best one. on ground. Yeah. Uh, How good is he? Charisma central. He has got the most charisma of anybody in that paddock. Seriously. Uh, Grant's, I've known Grant for a long time as we all have, and mm. he's just a lovely bloke and so passionate about that place as well. But he, just he talk, gets... talking about the in-car stuff from the Mustang, like yeah. that was just the, the animation and the way he described it was just so yeah. good. Yeah. No, lovely, lovely bloke. And uh, yeah, I, I I think he's up for a gig at the moment. I I, I think he's between networks. So I'd, I'd love for, uh, if Fox don't get him for supercars, which they should, uh, I'd love very much for uh, Stan to grab him for their speed series coverage. Speaking of that, Matty White, he just sounded like he was loving it. Like he's just, consummate tv pro but he was just loving it he knew everything that was going on it was just really cool to hear but do you know why maddie is so good is because he came in for his little stint which was only going to be an hour max um and he had a ream of notes and he rattled off all this stuff and but Noltz and i matt nolte my co-commentator and i said afterwards and we did this last year as well that for us, it was quite surreal out of all of them having Matty in the box because we all grew up with him as the voice of touring car racing in Australia on 10. Correct, yeah. So some of the biggest moments, like Murphy's lap of the gods was Matty White. So when you're sitting next to him, it's quite surreal. And he's quite loud too, actually, which is a compliment. He projects unbelievably well. But um, I, I call with one ear open with um, one headset ear off my ear. And, um, yeah, I had to put it on to make it quieter because he, he's got a big voice, but he's such a good TV person. He's unbelievably talented. The other good thing about Matty White, too, is he's in a position now in his career where he can pick and choose what he wants to do. He loves so it. For him to actually say, yeah, I'll do that is totally. a great compliment to you. Yeah, yeah it, is. it is. And we, we understand that. And, and we're, it's a privilege to work with him because he is an absolute professional. And he can have whatever job he wants, basically. Yeah. And last but not least, Marcus Ambrose. I mean, <laughs> yes. I've sort of been, I've talked to him a few times this year at different things that he's done with his kids and whatnot around the place. And, you know, the debriefs he'd have with his kids, that racing IQ that he's got is just next level. Like that mm. was, and that shone through when he was talking on the weekend. But then the stories as well. My favorite, I'm giving away one of my hots here. I can let, 
blast now was the Jaden Ojeda story from Scrutineering on Thursday. Yeah. Where, where Jaden picked up his um, head <laughs> sock. Out of the balaclava. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Ambrose, here's your balaclava. He's like, are you taking the mickey out of me? <laughs> yeah. Just a perfect story. Yeah, it was good. Um, I love the fact that Marcus now is at a point in his life where he can joke about that. He can joke about the Murphy thing. Like he referenced it in his narrated hot lap and he, he talked about it a couple of times. But I've got to tell you, it's quite intense working. He He's still that intense figure that he was as a professional driver. And he was sitting in the middle of Nolts and I, and when he was making a point, he'd be staring at you in the eye. And it was quite, um, and not intimidating is not the right word, but it was like, wow, this, this, the knowledge and the, the insight and, um, and that fire that he had competitively as a driver, it's still there. It's tempered, but it's still there. And, it, and I think that added quite a lot to the broadcast. That noise you just heard was a shiver going up my spine when you said it was, that. It I was very cool. What it would have been like. It was very cool. Yeah. And, and the, it's big picture perspective as well, too, mm. because he's sort of seen that from all levels over at the States because, you know, he used to run mm. late models for George Medecki over there and all this sort of stuff. Like, he's got a really good view of how the whole world motorsport works, and I, I thought that was a cool insight. Agree with you. Oh, beautiful stuff. Well, let's go into the racing itself. It was pretty hot. You mentioned Grand Denia. He, uh, of course, was uh, one of the winners in, in one of the classes with oh. Tony Quinn and his uh, grandson, Ryder. That was well, a, a great result, too. <laughs> Shebex, let me explain how the end of that race played out <laughs> for you. Because what happened was I called the winning moment, which was very nice of Nolts to let me do that. And I then bailed almost immediately to go and do the podium. And I walked out and I walked up the media center to where the podium is. And Shane Rogers, who was there doing some uh, social media work and some website stuff for us, said, are you aware of what happened behind Jaden Ojada and Simon Hodges? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, uh, Ryder Quinn passed Ryan Casher around the outside at the final corner in one class A1 by 0.09 of a second. I was like, you what now? <laughs> and then he said, P.S., that Astra that had a broken axle about five laps ago. And I was like, yeah, what about it? I was like, well, they won class C. So that's how the end of Crazy. the race played out for us. We had no idea. And you, you need eight sets of cameras to cover that race yeah. at every corner because there's so much going on. So, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy car race. I'm, I'm very, I've got to send a, a thanks actually to friend of the show, Brian Vanderwacker, who was there watching with his lovely partner um, just as a spectator, which is madness because it was minus 400 degrees on Sunday. Um, I had the weather app up all day and it did not, the feels like temperature did not go higher than 3.5 degrees oh. all day. It was nippy. Um, but Brian, I saw Brian there and we were, Brian's very good at strategy. And uh, he was watching from the hill, but was taking some notes. And I, I checked in with Brian because I half suspected that 21 car was the first of the outright cars to tickle their fuel compulsory pit stop boxes. So they had six stops to do um, mandated in the race. But with the red flag and everything that went on, it made it a bit confusing. And I, I thought they were the right one. And I, I sent Brian a message and... Um, and he agreed. And that gave me the confidence to, to commit to the theory that they were going to get in front because their last pit stop was going to be shorter because they could put fuel into time, not to the 90 seconds. And it turned out that way. So I've got to say thank you for Brian for, for proving some strategic theories and um, giving me the confidence to sound semi-intelligent about how that race was playing out. But um, I enjoyed the fact that it came down to that because it, 
with all the safety cars, it could have been no strategy involved whatsoever, but we actually got some roll of the dice stuff, which was really, really good. You know, production cars, like you said, it, they're doing things that they're not supposed to do. Like they, And they do break. I remember with 12-hour when it was production cars, we used to break a lot of cars. That's mm. what happens in that race. But also, it's that test of the showroom showdown. We finally saw Mustangs turn up and were competitive outright. Like We had 11 cars on the lead lap there at the finish. Obviously, all the safety cars during the race helped, but Ambrose led it. They weren't slow this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think they would have won, but they were certainly in the mix. Um, and and the the safety cars kept those A1 and A2 cars closer to the front than perhaps they may have been. So th- there'll be a time where they jag a big result, I've got no doubt, with a, a strong combination like, you know, the Quinn Denny car or that Ambrose Mediki combo when they, they stick a proper gearbox in that car and come back with it next year. How about old Tony Quinn? He had a good weekend. I mean, second coming at TQ. He's not bad, is he? He still hobbles around the paddock, but man, he can still drive. There's no doubt. Right. Is his first drive back since the the Porsche accident? No, he no, he raced over summer in New Zealand in in that Porsche in the the Cayman GT four. Um so he'd got some miles and was he was sharp, no doubt. Ryder Quinn, that Mm -hmm. kid that kid's got some star power. Um he's a Big he's personality. So, he's so much like his dad at scary. Totally. He's a big personality, but he can steer. Really impressive. Uh, I thought his drive was good. The other one was, there There are a couple of other names that popped up. Ryan Kasher, who was in that Mustang that, that got nobbled right in the last corner. He was superb. He was racing XLs as well and was very, very quick in that field. But he sort of popped up from nowhere in, in that Chris Delsma uh, Mustang and was fast. And then his co-driver, Ryland Gray, who's 16, mm. Son of Jeremy Gray was super impressive too. Um, and this race this year really delivered on some young blokes making a really big impact um, at the front of a, a pretty spicy field. So I, I loved that. Um, I loved that element. The other thing I do have to say is um, I thought Lockie Bloxham drove brilliantly in that Toyota 86 that won Class D with Mitch Madron and Murray Dowsett from New Zealand. Um, they won their class by about four laps, but um, Lockie's dad is. Uh, officer in chief of barbecuing at uh, that team. And then in their Porsche sprint challenge team and was very good enough to bring us uh, some sausages and bread to the commentary box at about three o'clock. And i tell you what, at about that time, we absolutely needed that little lift. So well done to Lockie Bloxham's dad. Thank you. That, uh, that got us through the hectic final few stages of that race. Do you remember the days when Donut King used to sponsor stuff? <sighs> yeah, it was, it's hard calling the Alfords without that pink, Livery and free donuts coming into the commentary box. <laughs> <laughs> and as much as I like local legends, <laughs> the beef jerky, it's just not quite the same. <laughs> it's good stuff, though. I've actually had some before. It's not mm, too bad. No, no, they, they do a nice job, no doubt. What else needs to be mentioned about the weekend, boys? Oh, I don't know where to start. Um, GT. well, G- GTs were good. Yeah, GTs were good. They were, were, were they? Didn't Liam Talbot drive well in that mm. Audi? Mm. Another fast... International, he'd never been there before and, and plugged himself in quickly. Was do, you, great. do you get the feeling that Max Hoffer will be there at the 12-hour next I year? I get the feeling Max Hoffer might be maybe, there at the 12-hour next year. Yeah, he was he was quite good. It was cool to see Christian Johns back with Jeff Emery. That was a, a good combo uh, too. The Triple Eight boys were fast. They did sort of troubles in race one, but you know did a good job early. Brock Feeney continues to be He's super, good. super impressive. 
Yeah. Um, and especially in those GT cars. So backing it up again with what he did at the 12 mm. hour. So loved that. Very Brad, cool. Brad Schumacher, the, mm. the bit that he did at Reckless Brewing. Can we put in a plug for Reckless Brewing again? We can. Again. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Yeah, we went there for dinner on Friday night. I think I sent you both a message because it's customary. Yes, There's still bastard. no sign of your hat there, Shebex, by I the way. I was going to ask. Thank you for clarifying that. I was, yeah, was no, going to ask. No, you, you've definitely lost that. You're going to have to go and buy your own one <laughs> in October <laughs> this year. But uh, no, we they they the burgers were uh, outstanding and a glass of their um, BX Lager. Terrific Ooh. night. Very good. Thanks to Jared and the team there. We had a, we had a terrific little team. The burgers dinner. are better at Reckless Brewing. No, they are. Yeah, they are true story. Yeah, true story. We're uh, the Renault Gracie October, story. Tell us, take us through that. What was it? What? What? How was that graded? Uh, oh, I think reasonably well. Yep. Um, I, the the general vibe for mine was she wants to go car racing. Good on her. Um, and she's worked hard to make it happen for her. So good. Oh, uh, the the choice of category was probably a surprise to some, given her background, but. I think it actually makes sense given in Carrera Cup, she was pretty quick at times. So um, all power to her and and good on her for getting out there and, and making it happen. And, and she's got every right to go car racing as much yeah. as you or I do, as far yep. as I'm concerned. That's just my opinion, but I have no dramas with it whatsoever. And, and it, man, it got some, it got some coverage. It got some huge coverage. It was in the top three stories on the entire nine news website across the entire weekend. So oh. From a from a branding point of view and a PR point of view, both for her and, and for GT and Speed Series and the six hour, it was enormous. So yeah, it was massive. It'd be interesting to see how she wants to fund it because I think if she wanted to go out and get sponsors, she wouldn't have a problem getting it. Just from that simple exposure standpoint, you know, I remember when I looked after the Harvey Norman Supergirls there in 2016. The, the thing she was awesome at was doing all the sponsor rubbish, doing all the stuff that was a distraction away from the track. She got it. I mean, she was a lot younger then and mm. she swung in and didn't complain and got all that stuff done and was really, really good with all the sponsor stuff. If she wants to put up with that, it, it's something, it's a bit of a, a paradox that does my head in about motorsport is that people who can afford to go and do it can most often parlay their business success and their, own personal success into other people paying for them. Like I remember when I used mm. to look after some guys in the youths, they were the richest dudes out there, but because they were so rich, they were connected to the eyeballs yep. and they'd get other people to pay for their car racing for them. Yeah. So uh, all power to them. But um, yeah, Renault being back out there, that's just going to get more people watching it, which I don't see being a bad thing. Yep. Yeah, correct. Anything else? No, it was just a cool race, Shebex. Yeah. Uh, it's such a good fun event. I, I, I really like it. Um, it. It's a it's a great weekend. It's so relaxed relative to everything else that happens at that place. And, and I think that's its, its selling point. And I think there's space for that there. And, and, and it's now, you know, seven editions in um, that event, that race in particular has sort of become part of the fabric i think of bathurst it's the it's the accessible enduro um and and i think all it's all the stronger for it because it, as i said earlier it does link it back to the real roots of that place and and yeah we you know it'd be nice to see something other than a bmw win and um 
you know, one day we're going to get 70 cars, take the start and, and break the event's own record and all of that stuff. But, you know, th- there's so much stuff going on. And ultimately it strikes me as being a fairly entertaining Sunday afternoon in front of the TV if you're not there. Yeah, very much so. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Mark, NASCARs had a elongated race. No, nah, it was good race. No? Standard, uh, was race? Good race. Standard race? Standard race. Apparently it was a very good, the best Bristol dirt race was what I have read since then. Was it was really racy. They got the track right and they got the formula right and all the different grooves worked and it was for the most part it was three wide all the way sort of thing. It was really racy. Um, industry chat suggests that they probably won't go and do it again for various reasons, which are fair enough. They're dirty great stock cars that aren't supposed to do that stuff and it's not what they're supposed to do and the drivers don't really like it and. Clearly not many fans turned up, whether that was a Bristol dirt thing or a racing on Easter Sunday night thing that uh, took that away. It's a pretty expensive thing to do to go and cover a racetrack with dirt. But whatever happened, it was the first time that a dirt track specialist won it with Christopher Bell Mm. uh, breaking through. The other two editions, it's been, you know, asphalt guys who've gone and won it. But uh, Christopher Bell with the win and I was entertained. That was, it was a good Ooh. race, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what NASCAR chooses to do in the future, whether they revert back to something else or take a dirt race elsewhere to an Eldora or Knoxville or somewhere like that. Can I just say that they're going to get value out of it though, because I've talked about the YouTuber Cletus McFarland before, and he owns a short track in Florida and runs races with his Ford for ex police um ford police cars but he also does them in ford rangers so pickups right and he's they call it the danger ranger 9000 uh which is the best name for a car race that's ever happened um but they're taking the danger ranger 9000 to bristol in a couple of weeks on the dirt oh well that's gonna end well i mean it's a billion youtube views right there isn't it so i I like uh cletus when he tried to reenact the uh the wall ride from uh, from Martinsville last year. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, with Alex Bowman, who's his mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very good. I'm, uh, I'm a bit addicted. It's cool. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. I like the dirt stuff. It would be sad to see it, see it go. Maybe they should just go to Eldora and be done with it. I don't know. Hmm. Now, normally we would uh, find other things to talk about, but Richard's going to need about seven or eight minutes, I believe, for his <laughs> not. So no, we'll get to that. Uh, shortly let's kick it off with hot so mark you mentioned one of yours do you want to mention the other few uh well the, the keep it right drifting thursday night called a park it was so cool just absolute action you know i saw the very early days of drifting at queensland raceway which was a van commodore and a datsun 1600 but out there these days, drifting's really, really good. And they sort of looked after the media. They had drones there. They sort of encouraged people at a safety briefing, which is something that you don't get very often these days. I thought that was nice. <laughs> and they're genuinely thankful that we turned up. So I thought that was pretty cool. Like, um, it was good to see there were thousands of people there. It bucketed down rain. was awful conditions. But um, that was a really good night out, and I'm probably going to do a bit more of that. And the other hot that I did because I had four days off. I thought I'd tick a, a box and I'd reapply to be a motorsport official with Motorsport Australia. And I thought I've got four days to do this, you know, plenty of time to get it done. And I, I read through the syllabus in, I don't know, five minutes. I'd really breeze through it. I thought I should probably pay more attention to it. And then I sat the test 
And that took another four minutes <laughs> and I got 98%. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so well, I'm going to get my motorsport official license back after I let it lapse for a fair excellent. while there. Great. Yeah, good stuff. Go and do it. It's not hard. Thank you for being one of our great volunteer officials. You you will be the people I thank when we say that in the broadcast. Motorsport wouldn't be the same without you. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, What's and by the way, that the the wrong answer is you don't get a free ticket, apparently. That's what I got wrong. <laughs> oh, what's... <laughs> Come on. Stitched up. Uh, what's your hot, Shebex? Uh, My hot is the fact that I had a look through Speed Cafe the other day and saw that Mark Fogarty had written a story, and it's just great to know that there's a competent journalist back at the oh. cafe. Oh, jeez. Wow. That's well, big. they haven't been doing some good stuff recently. That's big. That's uh, So nice to know that he Tishy has Ricky. possibly jo- rejoined the fold, I believe. Well, I don't think he has. As uh, I, I believe, well, even if it was just for one story, it was nice to see. I believe he is still very much freelance, but uh, it was a very good story about the new, um... yeah, about the new track in Melbourne. So, are we, uh, what do we know about it? Well, what Mark Fogarty wrote about it, it's happening down in Avalon, and uh, Lynn Fox is probably going to be involved, which actually adds up to the rumors that have been floating around that Phillip Island is going to be on the market at yeah. some point soon. There has been some interest uh, sniffing around for that to be a thing. So, uh, yeah, very interesting. Will uh, be a good story to follow. I like there, it. There's been a lot sort of said over the years for putting a mm. motorsport facility there, and there sort of already is a bit of a grassroots, you know, club level stuff going on in that sort of vicinity. But um, you know, it's clearly already all zoned and ready to go, and a prime place to put it. The other problem is that they'll wind up having the same drama that they had for the Avalon air show where you can't get bloody people in there. You just have a massive traffic yeah. jam. Mm. Oh, well, hopefully they fix that. Yes. Uh, my hot, there's a couple of hots. Uh, I'd like to give a hot to the Shaheen family uh, for managing apparently to sell the OTR business for more than a billion dollars to Viva Energy. And at the same right. time, we understand become a stakeholder in that too, is the word. So, uh, and that includes a 10 year sponsorship of the Ben Motorsport Park. So that any that's a win for motor racing as far as I'm concerned. Well done. Great stuff. Uh I've seen some photos of the drag strip there as well, by the way, and it's almost done and it looks epic. So that's that's a, another new motorsport facility. Big tick there. But my hot this week, it's it's about the Bathurst six hour, but it's it's more about the family aspect of the Bathurst six hour. It is the best aspect of the race. The, the family combinations involved, I love it. It's the Les Lights. So Daryl and his son, Henderson. Daryl's early 60s real estate agent. Um, his kid, Henderson's 16. Um, they've dreamed for their entire life of racing Bathurst together. So they went out and bowled it, bought the VW Golf that the Barguanas drove a couple of years ago, um, entered it in Class D and went and lived their dream racing together in a Bathurst Enduro. Like, that's just awesome. And you'd never mm. see that in the 1,000. And you'd never see that in the 12-hour these no. days. That That's so cool. And and it's it's Wayne Russell. We did a Facebook Live on Sunday morning. And I, I walked up to Wayne, and he was about to go out for the warm-up and had a chat. And I said, mate, what is it, what's it like driving with your two boys? And he said, it's everything. And started crying. It, it's stuff like that that, that makes the six-hour for mine. And you don't get that anywhere else. And it, it shows not only how special that event is, but what Bathurst means to families. It's a, it's a generational thing 
that people grow up with a love for that place and a desire to go there and interact with their families at it. So that is a massive, massive hot for mine. And and that is what I truly love about the Bathurst Six Hour. Nice. Uh, not, Mark? Not. Um, I like NASCAR, but it's falling apart, which <laughs> I don't like. So it's a not. Uh, the judicial stuff at the moment is really quite messy and ugly. So basically going back a few rounds there, Hendrick got caught uh, with eight louvers on their four cars were all out of spec and they got rubbed out, but then they essentially got reinstated on appeal, which uh, NASCAR isn't terribly happy with because they sort of set the rules out that you can't fudge with any of these parts in the new cars. So Cowley Racing with Justin Haley, they had one louver out of spec, which may have been a manufacturing issue. We're not entirely sure, but they were given the same penalty as the Hendrick cars. They appealed it, a separate appeal. But uh, essentially, other than getting a 100K fine reduced to 75K, they still got 10 playoff points, 100 driver points, 100 team points docked, which was just weird. Then Denny Hamlin, for what he said on a podcast, still copped on appeal 50K fine and 25 points, which was just bizarre, which was attempting to manipulate the outcome of a race, wrecking or spinning another vehicle, and actions detrimental to stock car racing for just a something he said on a podcast which is just ridiculous anyway they're at a real crossroads now of boys have at it and the drivers are now afraid to talk to the media like there's drivers have come out and said i'm just not going to tell you anything anymore i'm not going to go on a podcast mm. i'm not going to talk to you why would i because it's a real threat to my points and my livelihood why am i going to do it so that whole appeals process over there the panel that uh heard denny hamlin's appeal was a television executive the Bowman Gray track operator and Lynn St. James. So that was the learned scholars who decided the outcome of that one. Mm. Whereas you look at what Motorsport Australia did with the triple eight appeal the other week, you had people with a legal background, Walter Sofronoff, he's a King's counsel, Ross Jackson, a partner at a law firm for 30 years. Steve Chopping was a former barrister. He was a competitor, F1 grade steward. He's been involved in supercars for the past 20 years you have these guys with a real legal background and you read the five page 46 point report from that finding in triple eight. And it had a real legal background to it. You know, they're looking at the rules as they're written. It's not just any a thing on a, a motion. It was all by the letter of the law, which I think is something that we've got very, very right here in Australia and in America, they have absolutely wrong. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a mess over there at the moment. Plus all the team owners boycotted a meeting with NASCAR They've got a TV agreement coming up. They want their slice of the pie and NASCAR doesn't want to give it to them. So it's really messy away from the track, even though the stuff on the track's pretty good at the moment. It's uh, not a pretty place to be. So that's one mm. knot. And I guess this one's not necessarily a knot, but um, it's probably more a case that uh, TV ad advertising really just doesn't necessarily always work after it was rammed down my throat all weekend that I should watch the UEFA league soccer on Stan. Um, I didn't watch it. Richard, I assume you watched it. what did you think of the soccer? Uh, I did not watch it. No. No. Not? I, what, what I am looking forward to though is the IndyCar on Stan. Mm. which we also oh, yeah. promoted Mark Walker. Oh. Uh, all all I coverage have from the Long Beach Grand Prix. Did you know the Rugby World Cup's also on the stand, apparently? Don't particularly yeah, like that either. No, no. Uh, no knots for me. I've had a quiet weekend. I've been 
footying, so I wouldn't see much motorsport to not. <sighs> really? Okay. Yeah. Well, your knot is that you weren't at Bathurst. So no, that's a big knot. Yes, I will mm. give you that. Mm. I'll give you that. Okay. Uh, oh, I, well, well, actually, if I may, uh, and, and this is not directed at anybody in particular, but can I throw a nod in as the uh, the possible coverage then of the Bathurst Six Hours? Just oh. it, it just fell away a little bit from the, the standards that we are used to of the coverage of motor racing at the top level uh, in this country at the moment. Okay, fair call. Like it. My, my not is about TV coverage as well, but not in particular the TV on its own. So gather round, kids. Krausey's going to have a little bit of a chat. Uncle Krausey. So those of us working on the six hour all weekend on the social media in particular were subjected to a barrage of comments from punters, disaffected that they weren't apparently able to watch the race on account of it being broadcast on stand. So there were comments like, shame it wasn't on TV. You're all a bunch of corporate sellouts. Why isn't it on KO? And they filled the comment section. And frankly, I am over it. Complaining about TV coverage, boys, has now become the national pastime of the motorsport fan in this part of the world. Yeah. If it's on free-to-air, there's too many ads or too many cross-promotions. If it's on Fox, it's behind a paywall and not on free-to-air. And if it's on stand, it's all of that and complaints that it's not on bloody Foxtel. It's a privileged world complaining about something that as a kid I would have absolutely killed for because my recollection of growing up was that outside of Sandown, Bathurst and the Grand Prix, to watch the Australian Touring Car Championship was a late-night replay on Channel 7 somewhere in the mid-90s, and that was it. That was all you'd get. Uh, these people have got short memories and why people feel in this world of streaming service and commercialization that they should be and have a right to have this handed to them on a platter is beyond me because ultimately you're paying for it anyway. You're paying for it in time via advertising that you don't see the racing or you're paying money for a subscription to a Fox cell or a stand, but ultimately you're paying for it one way or another. So Stan broadcast the entire race live with no ads, and that was on from nine to six, right? So it was a huge broadcast, and it's more than a vast majority of anything outside of a supercars round gets in this part of the world. Indeed, in just about any part of the world. So it's huge. Was it behind a paywall? Yeah, it was. Was it on KO? No, because KO don't have the rights. This is how commercial TV works. It's why Channel 7 has the AFL and why Channel 9 has the NRL. And it's not a massive charity and don't, it's not a feel good thing for them having those rights. It's all about the eyeballs on their advertisers. It's got nothing to do with making people feel good about the network. That's just the side effect. But do you know what? This is actually a good thing that Stan have motorsport because it means more people are investing in our sport. Pop quiz to the two of you. Who is the largest single commercial investor in Australian motorsport? Foxtel. It's Foxtel. Exactly. $240 million they're investing into the sport over six years. It's $40 million a year. No one else outside of the governments spend that much money on our sport. Now, Stan don't pay that much for the Speed Series, which they did, um, but they're investing in the sport and it's much better than no one paying for it. Or the only other alternative is that the sport has to pay to get the TV coverage for the exposure for the competitors, which only raises their costs of going racing. So it drives me mad. Now I get 
that some people have got legitimate reasons for not paying for Stan when they've already got KO or they've got Disney plus for the kids or Paramount for the dads or whatever it might be. I get that it can be expensive and I'm, I do know and appreciate that for some people, 25 bucks a month may be a step too far. I understand that. I get it. And I'm sorry that that's the case. And in that case, you just have to get the free-to-air highlights that air the week after. But that's why they're there. They're there for that reason because not everyone can do it. The problem is that I suspect 90% of the people that pop onto our Facebook page having a win, a whinge aren't in that case. They could do it, but they choose not to. They operate under the impression that they should get this stuff for free or it should be on the network they already subscribe to. And they're only refusing to subscribe out of some misguided impression that by doing so, things will change. But it won't. That's not how it works. And it bugs me that these people aren't creative. Stan have a free seven-day trial. Now, I'm not going to tell you right now, as someone who works on Stan, how you can make that work for you. But for crying out loud, it's not rocket science. Did you say free? A free seven-day trial, Shebex. Wow. It's not hard. Now, if you're not willing to think outside the box or you're refusing to subscribe on principle, so be it. That's your choice, and I respect that. That's fine. But don't then dribble on social media about how it's a pity the race wasn't televised. It was televised, but you made a choice. This is what it comes down to is personal choice. If you couldn't be bothered signing up for a free trial to watch the Bathurst Six Hour, that's fine, but it's a choice. The race was broadcast. It was broadcast relatively well, despite what Tony thinks. And it was there. If you had, if you wanted to see it and you worked hard enough, you would find a way if you're in the position to do so. What we got was people hiding behind their keyboards, having a whinge and filling social media with more social hate that it does not need. And it drives me utterly mad Get creative, people. It's not that bloody difficult. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Spoken by the leader of the non-free TV world. Look, I'll tell you what, I had such a good day. I had such a good day. I I detailed two cars better than I've ever detailed them before. (laughs) The, The yard is manicured. I got my washing done. I did the ironing. It was perfect. In two weeks, Shebex, I've worked for a free-to-air network and a subscription network, and they're both great, but they both cost you to watch. It's it's one, but it's just a different way of paying for it. Uh, And getting on social media and having a bitch of moan and posting non-witty things like, oh, it's a pity the race wasn't televised, it just drives me mad. It's not constructive. It doesn't help anybody at all. Just for clarification, I never said the broadcast was bad. Oh, I know. I was, I was having a little poke. Good standards. Yeah. But thank you for including me in your uh, monologue. Thank you. Right there. Uh, that's it. It's nice that's to enough. have a platform. <laughs> yeah. No, you've done yeah, well. What are you going to do this week, Henrich? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Are you going to be alcohol maybe involved? I, I feel I'm going to be lonely, I think. <laughs> I've spent the last two weeks just hanging out with incredible people, so I'm just not sure yeah. what um, what I'm going to do. I might have to go and see my family or something. That'd be nice. Well, it would. Yeah, I, yeah, I just 
There's not I want to see some footy. You've only got nine games of it over in Adelaide. Yeah, gather round. How good's that? Isn't there, isn't there a game near you? No, the no, they were going to play one in the Barossa, but they moved it to the Adelaide Hills, oh. the substandard wine region. But anyway, you get mm. that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's all. all right. good. Uh, Mark, catch you next time. I hope so. Richard, you too. Thank you. I'm going to go and have a lie down. Please do. And we'll catch you next time right here on The Grid.